Our scripture, oh, wonderful. I heard some good mornings there. Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So you can either find it in your Bibles, on your phone, or write in your bulletin. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you, so good to see you. Just wanna add my welcome to, uh, to all of you for being here today. I uh, appreciated uh, Dwayne leading us in prayer a moment ago, but I'm reminded of another request that I wanna, I think we should pray for as a church family. Uh, some of you know Jake and Jen LaVey. Um, it was uh, just over the past couple days, uh, Jen, Jen LaVey lost her younger sister to a sudden car accident up in Atlanta, and it has broken their hearts. Her young sister was 31 years old, and uh, so Jake got in touch with us and let us know, and we've been in touch with them, and uh, Jen is now up in Atlanta with her mother, with her family, and we know that they would appreciate our prayers. So I wonder if you would bow with me in prayer. Oh Lord, this is one of those moments where as a church family, we wanna uh, put our arms around a family that has suffered loss. A loss that was too soon. Lord, we know that for Jen, for Jake, for her mother, for other relatives, that their hearts are broken today. We're reminded that your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, in the midst of their grieving, would you bring only the comfort, the comfort that only you can bring? We pray that you would encourage them today. We pray you would provide for their needs. We pray that in various ways you would show your hand of love and providence to the whole family. And we pray these prayers together in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when, uh, when Dwayne prayed, he prayed for uh, the sanctity of life. And you might ask the question, why, why would the sanctity of, of life from the womb to the tomb be important to us as Christians? The reason for that is, that the, is what the Bible teaches. It's not a political issue, it is a biblical issue that uh, God created all of us and we were designed for dignity. He created us in his image. So as a church and as followers of Christ, we believe in the dignity 
of all human life, and that affects unborn life, and it affects life over the lifetime. People that have been disabled, people that go through all kinds of things, we believe in the dignity of life. And there's another thing that the Bible teaches. Not only that we were designed for dignity, but if we really wanna understand the world, and we really wanna understand people, the Bible teaches another truth about us, and it's the result of the fall of mankind into sin, so in addition to being um, people of dignity, we are also people of depravity. And what that word means, depravity, it means that we are all sinners. We are all sinful in the sight of God. We sin against God, we sin against neighbor, and that we all from our first parents have inherited a sin nature, and that affects us in all kinds of, of very difficult, difficult ways. We see it all around us in the world today. But if we hold those two truths, that we are designed for dignity, but we also have depravity, it helps us to understand why the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. If you've been coming to Lake Baldwin Church for a while, you have heard us use the word gospel. Sometimes we just throw it around a lot. And a lot of you could, should ask, what is the gospel? What do we mean by the gospel? So inside the front cover of your bulletin in the quotes section, there's actually a definition of the gospel that I think is really, really good, and it sets the stage for the sermon today. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. God saves sinners. That word saves implies that God is involved in a rescue. He rescues us from our depravity. And that salvation that God brings, that rescue that he brings is twofold. He rescues us first from the penalty of sin, and then he rescues us from the power of sin. And that is why the gospel is good news, not only for those who are lost and apart from Christ, but the gospel is good news for, news for all of us in this room who are followers of Christ, because he not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but he saves us from the corrosive effects of its power. And you know what, that's what this passage is about. We're gonna talk about the new life that we have in Christ. We're gonna talk about how it is that God changes us, how it is that God saves us, the new life. We're gonna go through three points this morning. We're gonna talk, first of all, about the old life. We need to really get a good handle on what the old life was, and that's what Paul does in this passage. Secondly, we're gonna talk about how the gospel specifically changes us. And then third, we're gonna talk about, practically speaking, how to live the new life. So I want you to take a minute and look at Ephesians chapter four and verse 17. A couple of remarks about this particular verse for just a moment. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The word walk there is a, is a word that we've seen before. We saw it in chapter four and verse one. He says to walk no longer as the Gentiles do. When he uses the word walk, he's saying this is the practical part, this is the challenging part of this particular letter in the book of Ephesians. So I wanna to say to you this morning, we are actually going to talk about some very challenging things as we go through this sermon. Very challenging things, but also very hopeful things, but we're gonna be quite honest 
about what it means to let go of the old life and to embrace the new life. So you can look forward to it being very practical, and that's what this word walk points us to. He says that we no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I want to briefly explain that because Paul is writing to Gentiles. But in this verse, he's referring to Gentiles who are outside of Christ. He's referring to what they were before they met Christ. When he uses this word, this word that we no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So let's go on and talk a little bit about this old life. Number, point number one is we want to talk about the old life for a while. That's what he talks about in verses 17 and 18 and 19. You know, it would not take long for me, and we've talked about this in church for the last several months, that you and I live in a fractured world. We live in a very fractured world. We've seen that this past week. We see it in our country, and we see it around the world. I want you to think about a question. How is it that, for example, out there in sort of the Gentile world, how is it can people, that people can go from disagreement to anger to hatred and then to violence? When you think about that for a second, because Paul says, I don't want you as Christians to do that. So how is it that in public discourse, people go from honest disagreement to anger to hatred and to violence. Now Paul says in this passage, look around you in the Gentile world. There are examples of this. Now we've all been focused on our own country this past week. I want to give you an example over in Russia. Over in Russia there is um, a political opposition leader by the name of Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny. So he is the, the opponent of Vladimir Putin who is the president of Russia. Now, why is he significant? Well, this past year, while he was on a flight to Siberia, he, he came down ill, and they learned that he had been poisoned with a military-grade nerve, nerve agent called Novichok. It is a deadly agent, and he would have died had he not been evacuated from Siberia to Berlin, Germany, for months and months of treatment. And he finally was able to go back to Russia this past week, and he was promptly arrested. It is alleged, and a lot of evidence for it, that the attempt to poison him with this military-grade agent was perpetrated by the Russian authorities. It's an awful story, just an awful thing to have happen. But here's the illustration why we don't want to live by the Gentiles. What's going on? What is it that makes, within any country, Political, honest political disagreement moved from that to anger, to hatred, to death, and to violence. Now you say, how does that happen? Well, take a look at this, this passage in verses 18 and 19. Check this out here. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. John Stott, when he talks about this passage, talks about a, a downward spiral. So when I was describing to you going from honest disagreement to anger to hatred to violence, that is the downward spiral 
of the corrupting nature of what this passage refers to as our old self. That's what he's warning about. And so you see this downward spiral. It starts, first of all, with a hardness of heart, a resistance to truth. Then it moves on to darkness. It uses the word darkness in here. And darkness, it's the, it's the lack of ability to see. It's being unaware, even, of what we're doing. So it goes from hardness of heart to darkness, and then it goes on to uh, all the way over to recklessness, and in between those, alienation from God, which is numbness. So think about that downward spiral for a second. Think about hardness of heart, a heart of stone. And then it goes into darkness, where we're blind to our blind spots. We don't even see what we're doing. And then thirdly, we're alienated from the life of God, and there is a numbness that we go through. And then finally, number four, there is reckless behavior. That is what Paul is saying happens in that case of Navalny that I talked about, and it's something that he warns about that can happen to each one of us. I'll give you another example. I don't want to mention uh, the, the name of the person, and I kind of want to, it's, it's sort of out there in the culture as well. But it's this question, how is it that people like us fall into moral failure? How does, how, what is that road downhill to moral failure? So recently, a, uh, a person in the sports world was fired from his job because it was learned that two or three years ago, when he was in another city, he met a female journalist, a sports journalist, and they exchanged business cards. And then over two years, he obsessively texted her, and it got worse and worse to where he finally sent her a lewd picture. So that is a moral failure that he didn't just wake up one day and says, I'm gonna send this, this lewd photograph, but there is a downward spiral that occurs that a person goes through where they finally get to that point. So I'd like to, as we talk about sort of the old life that is here and the threat of the old life for us, I'd like to give you four questions that I would, that, that I would like you to ask yourself that I'd like to ask myself. Here's the first question. Number one, what, um, how do you respond to truth? Do you have a hardened heart to truth? When somebody brings truth into the mix in your life, how do you respond to that truth? Do you listen to that truth or do you resist it with a hard heart? Number two, darkness. Do you have blind spots in your life? We all do, but are you aware of the blind spots in your life? One of the reasons that we need community, one of the reasons we need people around us is that we have these blind spots that if we don't address them, we'll continue down that downward spiral. Number three, is there numbness in your life? Is there numbness towards God? In other words, are you, are you numb when it comes to the Bible? Are you numb when it comes to prayer? Are you numb when it comes to church attendance? Are you not as alive as you used to be? You go down that hardness of heart, darkness and blind spots, and then numbness, and then the fourth question is this, are you engaging or about to engage in reckless activity? Those are the things that happened in my illustration with Putin, the illustration with the sports figure. There is that downward spiral that we need to, that we need to watch. 
Now that leads us though to the gospel. That's our second point in the outline. First of all, the old life. That's, that's how the old life works and it's scary. In fact, this passage goes on to say that our old self is still being corrupted. So none of us are above those things. There but by the grace of God go I. We all struggle with that. But then enter the gospel. It is the gospel that changes us. It is the gospel that changes us. So notice what he says. I want you to look at the next verse in this passage where he says in verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. That is not the way you learn Christ. In other words, that downward spiral that's out there in the world and that you and I are in danger of going into that downward spiral. Paul says, you did not learn Christ in that way. In other words, that is not, that is not the gospel because Christ changes you, Christ teaches you. You did not learn Christ in that way. Now let me give you an example of how we learn Christ and what is it, what is the, how does the gospel really change us? One of my favorite stories in all of the four gospels is in John chapter eight. It is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now you might be familiar with that story. What happened in the story is a woman was caught in adultery and she was thrown down and encircled by a group of religious leaders who were ready to stone her because of her adultery. However, Jesus was there. And you remember what Jesus said to them. This is the gospel. This whole passage illustrates the gospel. He says, first of all, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And slowly, every one of those religious leaders left. And just that woman was left in front of Jesus. And Jesus said to the woman, is there no one left to condemn you? And then he said these words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now my friends, that is the gospel. When you're living the Christian life and as you're living the new life and living in line with the gospel, the gospel not only saves you from the penalty of sin, but it sets you free from the power of sin. The gospel is like walking along a balance beam. Have you ever watched gymnastics in the Olympics or some of you kids may be involved in gymnastics? But the gospel is like a balance beam that we have to walk along our whole life and we can fall off on either the left side or the right side. One of the ways that some of us fall off on the left side is legalism or moralism or self-righteousness. That's what was going on in those religious leaders that Jesus saw. They were ready to cast that first stone. And so when a person falls off into legalism and a performance orientation, they are working to earn favor with God by their righteousness, by their moralism, and we can fall off into legalism, and we think legalism is the solution for that downward spiral and that corrupting spiral of sin, but legalism doesn't do it, and that story illustrates it. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. No, we are sinners. But then we can fall off on the other side. This one side is legalism, the other side is license. In other words, license meaning I can just go ahead and sin all I want. But Jesus said to that woman, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. So there are people who misunderstand the gospel 
And the way, they, the, the way they deal with the downward spiral is they give in to it. They acquiesce to it and they say, I can just sin all I, I want because I'm a Christian. And that is known, one of the big words that, uh, that is sometimes used for that idea is antinomianism, meaning anti-law, meaning because I'm a Christian, I do not need to keep God's moral law. That is a false teaching. That is the hyper-grace movement God calls us to not fall off on that side. So it's either legalism or it's license. But true freedom, the true freedom of the gospel is, is so freeing because in Galatians 5.1, it says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm on the balance beam and do not give in to, once again, to legalistic bondage. So don't fall off on the left side. Then Galatians 5.13 says, and don't turn your sin into an opportunity for the flesh. That is your old life and your old nature. In other words, Ask Christ to teach you to stay on that, that balance beam of the gospel. So he says, this is not the way that you learn Christ, that old, that old way. You need to believe the good news of the gospel and live in the light of it. Legalism won't help you. License won't help you. But it's Christ who will change you. And that is the good news of the gospel for us. Now in a minute, we're going to talk about specifically how that works. But I want to just sit for a moment as a church right now in the gospel. The gospel is such good news for every one of us in this room because there are some convicting things that if we listen to the Bible, if we get in touch with our depravity, there are some very convicting things and our only hope is what Jesus offers to us in the gospel. It was about 15 years ago that we were working with a core group of people to plant Lake Baldwin Church, and we talked about our vision. I remember Joyce Cunningham saying in those meetings of a dream that people would walk into Lake Baldwin Church and they would feel a freedom, a freedom from legalism, a freedom from bondage, and a freedom from the law, a community where there is freedom. And then I remember Molly saying something that I've never forgotten, my own wife over there. She said, in this church, we all move forward as sinners because we all have that downward pull of sin. We all have that. We can't be the ones that cast the first stone. No, we're all in need of no condemnation. We're all in need of God's grace. And there's another quote in your bulletin I just want to read to you because I think it's fabulous. A fabulous quote about the gospel community. It's the, quote, the one by Scotty Smith. He says, in such a gospel community, no one feels that they have arrived. Instead, everyone is discovering more of their need for grace and more of the riches of grace. They won't have less to repent of. Rather, they will offer quicker, deeper, and more joyful repentances. I love a gospel community. I love what this describes. And that is the balance beam that we walk and that we want to walk based upon this passage of Scripture. Now, we're going to go on to having talked about the old life, our former life, the life of the Gentiles that's out there, and then having talked about the gospel. The gospel is what God uses to transform us and to change us, not legalism, not license, but, license, but the gospel. And now we're going to talk about the new life. 
to talk about the new life. That's point number three, and that's what we see in these next few verses. I want you to look carefully at what he says here. Uh, what, what is it when he says, this is not the way you learn Christ? What is it that Christ teaches? Look at what it says in verse 22. He teaches us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So how do you live the Christian life in light of the gospel? The first thing he says, there's three things here under point number three. The first thing he says is to put off your old self, your old corrupt self. There is a sense in which you and I need to, throughout our lifetimes, lay aside our sin and lay aside our old self. You never get past doing that. You guys, I'm 67 years old. I am not done. I am still, as Molly would say, I am still a sinner. I still have to lay aside my old life. Now, what does it mean to lay, to lay aside some of the, the, your former manner of life, to lay aside your old self, to lay aside your sin? One of the best illustrations I was thinking of, when I was in high school, we had something in, uh, we had a class called driver's ed, and uh, had to learn to drive. The driver's ed class was always taught by one of the coaches. So he's up there in front of the class, and we're talking, and he's, he's up there, and he's, he's wearing, always wearing like a sweatsuit, and he's teaching us about how to drive. He's teaching this driver's ed class. So we're all talking, and then this, this, I forget his name, but I can picture his face. He stood up there, and he said, all right, y'all, quiet down, quiet down, and listen up. And then he teaches us stuff. And one of the things he said that I'll never forget is he said, when you're driving your car, don't fiddle with the radio, because you're going to fiddle with the radio, and you're going to have a crash. So I never forgot that in driver's ed to not, even though I, I still fiddle with the radio, but I never forgot the story, at least. Now, I was thinking about that this past week, and I was driving along, and I've got my, I've got my cell phone with me, I've got my iPhone, and there's all sorts of stuff to check on my iPhone, the news and messages and texts and all this stuff I can check, and, I, and, 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 and it's, it's just, there's just this urge in me to, to look at it while I'm driving or to respond. Have you guys ever go through that? Am I the only, you're not judging, are you? But uh, you, you go through that, and so it is the hardest thing in the world what I have this attachment to the outside world. I have this attachment to talking to people while I'm driving or texting while I'm driving, and I need to lay aside my former manner of life. I need to stop doing that. Why? Because I'm gonna hurt myself or I'm gonna hurt somebody else if I'm texting and driving, so lay it aside. Now, let me, get, let me go a little bit deeper and talk about laying stuff aside. I wanna talk about pornography. Would that be okay? We'll talk about pornography just for a second. Now, I realize that it's not just men who struggle with porn, but I wanna tell you my experience starting with pornography back probably as early as middle school. Here's how, what happens is, there's a, I heard of a, a guy one time who said, whatever captures a man's mind captures his heart and becomes his true objective. So when I was in middle school, maybe even earlier, I started reading Ian Fleming's James Bond novels. And I would read those novels and I would, I would say to myself, oh, that's how women are. And not only that's how women are, 
but I'm kind of like James Bond. And so I kind of just sort of get, gets a hold of me. And now today, reading Ian Fleming's James Bond is like, that is so innocuous compared to today. So, but then I would graduate. So a little bit later in high school, I graduated to a book called Valley of the Dolls. And then that just continued to school me and that continued to get its grip upon me. And then I graduated to other books that I don't even want to give you the names. I don't even want to suggest the names of those books, but they were pure, unadulterated porn for a little kid. Now what happens is that stuff just, just gets a hold on you. And the reason I know it's like texting and driving is it turns a person into somebody who, uh, who objectifies the opposite sex and objectifies people and treats them as objects. That's why, it's, that's why it's so bad. So when I became a Christian at the age of 18, one of the things I had to, to, to think about was laying aside the things that had a grip on me because I wasn't James Bond. All women weren't that way. I had learned wrong things and I had to lay those things aside. Now, some of you may be able to relate a little bit to that story. This, those are hard things to lay aside. But there's something else that I've learned that's maybe a little bit more relevant to today. It's another kind of porn that we need to lay aside. It's political porn. Here's what I see happening around the country in America among Christians. They are exposing themselves on a daily basis to ideologies of the left and ideologies of the right. They are exposing themselves to conspiracy theories. And whatever captures a man's mind captures his heart and becomes his true objective. And so these things get a grip on people. And that becomes a kind of political porn that shapes us. And the reason I know that is it can lead not to love, but it can lead down that downward spiral from honest disagreement to anger to hatred. And so the reason I know that this affects us is because I see people, I see Christians. It hasn't really affected this church as much, but I see Christians becoming hateful people. And I would say to you, we did not learn Christ in this way because Jesus said to love your enemies. And so I would say, what do you, what do, you do with political porn? What do, you do, what do you do with that? Well, if it's if some of the books I was reading, you trash them and you get rid of them. If it's political porn, it's, it's sort of like if you're an alcoholic, what do you do if you're an alcoholic? What do you do with all your liquor? You pour it down the sink. You put it aside. You lay it aside. Because it captures you and you did not learn Christ in this way. Now, first of all, so then we lay off our old self, whatever it, might, whatever it might be, that's the first thing he says to follow Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to do that. The second thing it says is that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now, that's a beautiful thing. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind because what God wants to do, there's, a, there's that new self that God has given you. He's given you this new heart, 
And so he wants to renew you, he wants to refresh you. So you pour all that liquor down the sink and you replace it with good water and with something refreshing. You get rid of the porn and you replace it with the word of God. You replace it with fellowship, you replace it with worship. And so what it, the way that we're renewed is through union with Christ. We experience the means of grace, the grace of Christ through reading God's word, through prayer, through worship as we've been doing today. And that conforms us to the image of Christ. That is what makes us new and that's what sets us up for the new life. And I would challenge you to do that, to listen to the word of God, to let the word of God shape you. I go through this all the time, you guys. I see, um, I see my heart going on that downward spiral that I talked about, like the Gentiles. And I see myself going from honest disagreement with people to anger and to hatred. And I can see it happening to me. I can see it capturing my mind. And I remember the other day, I was just, I was just so, I was feeling that numbness. I was detached. And I remember going out on our front porch in our rocking chair and just taking a few minutes to pray because I hadn't really had my prayer time. But that is how we connect to Christ. That is how he renew us. When you read God's, how he renews us. You read God's word every day. You gather for worship every week. You uh, take the Lord's Supper when we have it. All of these means of grace, and God uses that to make us new. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world. That is the Gentiles out there, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He makes us new. And you know what he's doing? Is he's, he's cleaning out that depravity. There's a great promise. For those of you that are sitting there and thinking, Mike, you know, I still struggle with porn, political, sexual porn. I struggle with a lot of things that I do. There's a wonderful promise in God's word for you. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the beauty of the gospel as he cleanses us. So we lay aside the old self, we're renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then finally the third thing he says to put on the new self. And his goal there is to restore us. He wants to make us like Christ. He wants us to lay aside anger and hatred and put on love. Colossians 3 says to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And it says that in doing that, we are pressing towards righteousness and holiness. What that's talking about is that we were made in the image of God. We were designed for dignity, and he is renewing his image in us. So next week, we'll actually talk more about how the, some of the new things that God wants us to put on and how he wants to transform us. You know, as you look back over this over this passage that we've been looking at today and as we think about the new life, <clears throat> I'm reminded, and isn't this true for you, that all of us in this room, deep down in our hearts, are on a quest for something in our hearts. We are on a quest for satisfaction. We are, and, and our hearts were designed to worship God. The sad thing is that we find satisfaction in all the, the wrong places. But it was the French physicist and philosopher Pascal who said, there is in every heart a God-shaped vacuum that cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, 
made known through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's be satisfied in him. Are you willing to be satisfied with Christ today? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to take a moment to not only pray for those watching online and those here, but also for my own heart. We pray for the renewal of our hearts that only you can give. Lord, there are those among us today who need to put aside their resistance to you once and for all. They need to put aside things. Would you give them grace to do that? Would you renew our hearts? Would you enable us by your grace to put on the new self? Would you transform us? Lord, we pray that we would be satisfied with Jesus and with nothing less. And it's in his name that we pray.